it's time for Rolling Dice and Taking Names. In today's episode, the guys review Hallertau, Cedars, and Renature. Our boys join Marty to talk about aliens, another glorious day in the core, and the guys do another taste test. This time, it's Mountain Dew Major Melon. Taste test. This is what we've been reduced to. It's game over, man. Hello and welcome back to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode number 220, Mercy, Mercy Me. And I'm Tony. This is Marty. Thanks for coming back. After that last episode that started us off in 2021, we appreciate you giving us one more shot. Kind of like what I'm doing with all the new sitcoms that are hitting, Marty. I'm just, I give them one more time attempt one more shot at grabbing me i don't know have you seen any new tv shows that i need to make sure to put on the old recorder do you have disney plus i do i have disney plus well my daughter does and she set it up so she could watch something so now i do uh have you checked out wandavision no i saw that pop up the other day is it always in black and white is it uh, ricky and lucy I've only seen the first two episodes. By the time this show comes out, there will have been three episodes. But the premise was, and if you've seen any in the trailers, it's like uh, Wanda and Vision from you know the Avengers universe. Uh, basically, it looks like they're stuck in a 50s and 60s sitcom. Mm-hmm. It's not really spoiling anything, but the first couple episodes heavily lean into that. Okay. You know there's shenanigans going on because it's Marvel. It's not going to be this, but you don't know what the shenanigans are. So the first two episodes kind of leave you scratching your head, and they weren't that great of an episode. But you know, in the context, once the season is over, you may go back and, oh, that was a brilliant idea. I'm glad they did that. It's just hard to tell right now. All right. So, you gotta, so you're going to keep giving it chances. You're going to keep rolling with it. Yes. Okay. Well, that's that's good to know because, you know, for me, uh, I'm network guy. You're the subscribe guy that happens out there, all these subscriptions. So for my network stuff, I've watched uh, Mr. Mayor because I enjoy Ted Danson. I have watched the first two episodes of that. My wife ruined it for me, though. Okay. Every time Holly Hunter speaks, I now see Elastigirl. Elastigirl. From The Incredibles. She was, you know, Craig T. Nelson was Mr. Incredible. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I see. Yep. And you know what I see every time I see her? What? The woman from Raising Arizona. I don't want to say turn to the right, turn to the right. Which is a movie I have never seen. Oh, Lord. (laughs) You know that. You knew this. No, I didn't. Raising Arizona is an extremely popular movie. Holly Hunter, Nicolas Cage. I know. I know it is. I know it is. I just, it was that Nicholas, it was just how he talked. He was, anyway, won't go down that rabbit hole. So we've got Mr. Mayor, but every time she talks, I hear Elastigirl. So it's just hilarious. I have watched, also Call Me Cat. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is there was something that occurred. I don't know if you've watched that. I have not heard of Call Me Cat. That it stars, and I'm going to butcher her last name once the pronunciation does not count. Um, Mia Billick, Blossom. You know who she is. She's from Blossom. She's from uh, Shell, uh, Big Bang Theory. Yeah, I know who she is. So one of the things that I thought was interesting is, and this is something that I don't appreciate, but I think you do, is breaking that fourth wall. Yes. I don't like that. I'm not a fan okay. of that. Okay. Uh, the only movie that I really enjoyed was Deadpool that did that. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. What about Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Point. Good. That's good for you. Point. But he didn't do it constantly. Correct. Yep. All right. So she got ridiculed for that in the in the episodes. I give her credit for this. She came on and did a YouTube video where she says, I know you critics don't like this and you don't like this breaking the fourth wall. But she went on to explain it that 
This is how she expresses her thoughts in her mind. And this is how we're going to get it across to you. That's interesting. I didn't know the critics didn't like it because critics loved a show that was on the streaming service called Fleabag. Mm, oh, Fleabag. That broke the fourth wall constantly, though, yes. regardless of what you think about the show. But the critics loved that show, and she did that all the time in that show. I watched the first episode of Fleabag, and that I, I did not give it a second chance. Fair. I don't know. There was a lot of reasons. We won't go into all the m reasons. Most of it was like, really couldn't understand what they were saying because of the language barrier, English and English. I just couldn't get there. <laughs> American English and UK English. Yeah. And that's on me. I completely understand that. So, okay. So, cause it's the start of a new year. All these shows are starting to ramp up and you are always my litmus test for something I need to make sure I check out. That is totally incorrect because you like nothing. I like nothing. So why would I even suggest a show to you just to come back and go, that was horrible. Why'd you even say that? Because if you bring up a show, I know what not to waste my time on. Wow. Wow. Okay. I will say as far as recent shows, <laughs> I've been going back and watching. I don't know if you've noticed, you noticed that a lot of networks are relaunching really old game shows. Yes. Like uh, name Push Your Luck. Now, I have not watched Name That Tune yet. I want to, but I watched a couple episodes of Push Your Luck. I used to love that show as a kid. That show does not hold up. No, that's not the one where the quizzes don't hold up. It's a card sharks. Card sharks. Uh, you know, card sharks where uh, basically you're given a question and you have to throw out, you know, what get, do you guess the number is? And the other person has to say higher or lower. I just don't like that quiz format anymore. Okay. I mean, I like it when they play the when they're trying to basically make a run of cards. You go, is the next card higher or lower sort of deal? Mm -hmm. That's interesting to watch. But the quiz portion of Card Sharks, I really don't care for anymore. And like I said, push your luck. Is okay. It's interesting when they start, you know, trying to avoid the whammies. When they start going through that part, it's interesting. But the quiz part, just it wasn't as interesting to me anymore. Okay, I can understand that. I haven't seen Push Your Luck. I did watch Name That Tune recently. How's that? Um, so I can, I cannot do the part at the end, the bid, the song, because they, they do it off of the clues. And I don't know enough about clues from songs, you know? Sure. I also don't know enough, which makes me feel very, very old, all the new songs. I do not know the past 20 years. I'll be honest. When they start talking about all these various names and saying names, I'm like, I've got no idea. Is there a name that tune from the 60s and 70s? Oh, yeah, right. Wait, it was when name that tune was originally on. <laughs> yeah. So I do want to check that out. But, but you're right. Uh, if it's a lot of more of the modern, especially stuff that's on, uh, you know, top 40 radio now, I, if that still exists, uh, you know, where they play the more of the modern stuff, I won't know anything because I just don't listen to that, that style of music anymore. And that is something that we can blame all the Spotify's, the Pandora's, the Amazon music. Mm -hmm. All I got to do is hit my channel, yep. my, my 80s music, my easy listening, my smooth jazz, and I'm not going to hear any of that. You ever check out the Yacht Rock channel? Uh, because of you, I did. Yes, I love that channel. That name is so pretentious for what the music is. The music is some good, smooth R&B, jazzy stuff. I can't stand that name of it, though. Anyway, I can understand now. And I do want to, you know, and not that he's listening, but the fact that Ken Jennings came on, you know, I, yes, I do watch Jeopardy. I'm old, mm -hmm. but I love Jeopardy. And, you know, he was getting some bad publicity from how he did it at the beginning. But first off, you got to cut the man some slack. Oh my gosh. He's coming out trying to follow in some incredible footsteps here. And he's already said, I can't do that. I'm just going to do it my way, which is what he should do. He should, you know, 
make it the game we love. So is he the official new host? No, they're going to do um, Ken Jennings, Aaron Rodgers. Yes, the quarterback from Green Bay. I'll watch that. All right. Bill Whitaker, um, CBS, uh, 60 Minutes. And mm-hmm. me, me and Billick is going to go on and do it. Should be good. And I think that's uh, about it. I know they're, they've now, oh, and the producer from Jeopardy, he's going to fill in between um, Ken Jennings and when they get either Aaron Rodgers or Bill Whitaker to, to come in and do it. Aaron Rodgers is kind of busy right now. Yeah. I'd love to see Ryan Reynolds. I was wondering if they would do a comedian, but there's probably too much respect for the show to bring in a comedian to do it. Yeah. I mean, even even when I watch Saturday Night Live's old versions of Will Ferrell doing it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, I'm like, holy cow. <laughs> I'll take ape tit for a thousand. It's appetite. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Sean Connery and him was the funniest banter between those two. Oh, my gosh. Your mother, Trebek, and your mother. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so much fun. So good. But you were talking about R&B. Yes. I taught you something with the name of this episode, Mercy, Mercy Me. I did not know this, Tony. So Mercy, Mercy Me by Marvin Gaye. Fantastic song, by the way. I've heard a a track-by-track breakdown of Mercy, Mercy Me, and what it took to make that song is phenomenal. If you can find that somewhere, go listen to it. It's really good. What is that song about? Because I didn't know this. It's about ecology. In what way? Because I can't think of the lyrics off the top of my head. Uh, they're they're um, pl- we're polluting the world. I mean, you know, when you talk about gotcha, where did the blue skies go? We've got waste on the oceans and upon the seas, fish full of mercury. Then we've got radiation underground. Animals and birds who live nearby are dying. I mean, you know, overcrowded land. I mean, very mm. very uplifting song. But when I hear it in my head. <laughs> Yeah, I just love it. You know what? I'm really bad when it comes to music. I don't listen to lyrics, and uh, Vanessa cannot understand how she'll like hear a song. Oh man, have you listened to the story of this song? I'm like, no. She said, "How can you not know the story of this song?" I said, "I just don't hear the lyrics. I listen for music, mm-hmm. and even though I may sing the lyrics, I don't try to grasp their understanding and what they're saying." So I miss meanings of songs all the time. So it's not surprising that I didn't catch. I mean, when you say it out loud, when you say it, you know, and it's spoken word, it's like, oh, well, yeah, that's obviously what it's talking about. So, but it was a great pick for this uh, episode because we're going to be covering Renature, Renature. Uh, from Capstone Games that uh, we just got to check out. So I, I like what you did there. Thank and you. also Hallertau, probably not saying it right, but it's a place in Germany that is the hop-growing capital of the world, Tony. There you go. There you go. Absolutely. And then, of course, the long name that we're just going to call it Cedars on this episode. Yeah. So from that standpoint, so I'm like seed, hollertow, hop-growing, sheep-raising, and then re-nature is the place to be. Boom, 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 boom. Tony, before we get into all that, a couple of weeks ago, you snapped me a picture of uh, a brand new Mountain Dew that was just released into the wild. And this was called Major Melon. Mm-hmm. It comes in regular Mountain Dew and Mountain Dew Zero Sugar. And because we've done this before on the show, you said, let's have a taste test. So you and I have a fresh cold can of Mountain Dew Zero Sugar Major melon, and I assume this is going to be watermelon flavor by what's on the uh, outside of the can here. I mean, it clearly states major melon, do charged with watermelon. Oh, if I would have read the fine print underneath that part, then yes, I would have caught that. Yeah, flavor with other natural flavors. And then we flip it over, and I cannot pronounce any of these flavors. 
riboflavin, yeah. potassium, cyanide. What? All I see is calorie zero. That's what matters to me. Mountain Dew zero. There we go. So yes, uh, we are going to taste test this. Are we going to open these? Oh, let's do it. Let's pop All right, that can. We're going to pop that can right now. Ah. Oh. We're taking in the aroma right now for those of you who cannot see us on the podcast. This is very strong watermelon scent. Mm-hmm. My daughter could not drink this. She does not like watermelon. Watermelon to her is like cantaloupe to me. But do you like watermelon? I love watermelon. But you don't like cantaloupe even though they're in the same family. Yeah, I don't like honeydew. Okay. All right. Okay. I know. I'm 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 messed up. What can I say? It's not weird. I'm not a big fan of cantaloupe either, so I can't really say anything, but I love watermelon. Do you put salt on your watermelon? No. That's that's mm. I used to, but not anymore. A long time ago when I was a kid, because I'd see my parents do it. I do not salt watermelon. No. I do. I still salt watermelon. Why? I just like the flavor of the sweetness and the salt together. Mm. Also, do you uh try to pick out the seeds or do you just spit them after you eat? I will um, mostly buy seedless, which still baffles my mind. How can you oh, that's grow true. How, how can you grow something that's seedless? Somebody will have to explain that to me later. Oh, you know, you're right. We typically buy seedless too, and the se- any seeds that are in there are so small you just eat them anyway. So never mind. Exactly. It's not like the big Hawking ones you used to get a long time ago. So exactly. So here we go. A little taste test. All right, here we the, go. The things we do for people. Whoa. That is strong watermelon right there. Uh, it didn't. It didn't hit me like it hit you. It really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not powerful to me. I don't know, man. I like this. To me, this tastes like Jolly Ranchers watermelon candy. There you go. Bingo. Ding ding ding. That's ding, exactly ding. what this tastes like. If you were to liquefy a Jolly Ranchers. Watermelon candy is what this tastes like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I like it. It's a good thing I like it because I have 11 more of them to drink. <laughs> so No, I like this. I like this more than the last flavor we tried. Well, see, the cranberry was festive. Now, that's true. That's true. And it's, it's already gone. But I've seen this in several places now. I wonder if this is going to be a mainstay or is it just a short-term thing? Um, if This was the first time they've announced a uh, new... Flavor in a long time, so they're going to see how it goes, I guess. Now, I must ask you, sir, mm-hmm. as we're recording this, you seem to have squirrel intentions going over there. You keep turning your head away from you. Am I, do I need to get ready to call? Are you what? What the heck's going on, squirrel? I, I keep getting distracted. So you know, it's a nice sunny day here, and people are walking, and I keep, you know, it's like, oh, hey, neighbor, how's it going? Sort of deal. So the dogs aren't going to go barking, are they? Oh my gosh, no! During this episode, guaranteed. Taz will bark. I didn't even think about that. So yeah, I'm, I've got full of energy right now because we're recording, we're recording at like 2.30 in the afternoon, which we never do. We always record like at night, like after work and stuff, and we're tired and ready to go to bed. So I'm excited to actually be recording during the day. But that does open up the problem of when a dog walks by, Taz will go crazy. So you'll either hear it or I'll be editing it out. Okay. Does not mean this because you have energy that this needs to be three hours. No, no, it does not. I, I am I am excited about the games we're going to be talking about. Oh, speaking of games, I just now got the Bloodborne game that I ordered through Kickstarter back in 2019. And I had totally forgot about this game, Tony. Yeah. All of a sudden, this 17-pound box showed up in my garage. I was like, what the heck is this? And I just got the base pledge, which was just 100 bucks. But it came with like the base game and then three other boxes and it's got tons of models and stuff. The thing is, is you know how when you order something and you're excited and you're ready to play it and then all of a sudden it's like 
it's out of sight, out of mind, and then you forget about it, and then you're not excited about it anymore, and then you have instant regret, like, why did I spend $100 on this when I don't even know if I want it? So now I'm trying to decide if I want to keep it or just turn around and sell it. I understand buyer's remorse, dude. That's why I never pull the plug or pull the pull the trigger on stuff. I don't do it because I know I'll have it, but I understand what you're saying. Maybe you should. Maybe it's something. Is it something you want to invest your time in? I got it because the boys like the game, mm-hmm, but they're gone. Yeah, yeah. Travis, the person who loves Bloodborne's in college. Brett's not really playing board games. Adam's heading back to Scotland. Vanessa, Vanessa <laughs> likes thematic games. So maybe she would like this, but she doesn't have any relationship to the video game, which is why I got this. I don't know. If I put it out there, I'm going to put it on my Discord channel. I, I just want to get my money back. <laughs> You know, so I've got the Kickstarter with all the backer stuff in there for just the just the base. So uh, if you're interested, if you might be interested in getting an unopened copy of uh, Bloodborne, make sure to join our Discord channel, which you can find on our uh, homepage at Roll Dice Tech Names, because I may be listing it soon. There you go. So for me, Marty, I talked about Kickstarter, so I jumped over to my Kickstarter page. And I've backed 34 projects and I've checked off all the ones I've gotten. So what I'm waiting on for 2021, um, I'm waiting on City Builder, Ancient World. Okay. Yes. City Builder is the game from Inside Up Games. Inside, inside Down. Upside Down. Upside Down. Upside inside down. Out. I'm waiting for my Elixir dice. Before you move on to Elixir, by the way, Connor just contacted us. He has another Kickstarter coming out. And he's going to send us a prototype of it. We, you and I don't do a lot of prototype Kickstarter no. stuff, but it's a 20 to 30 minute game. So very short, but it has some 3D elements to it. Like you're stacking cubes and stuff. And typically he does some really cool games. So he's going to send us that to check out. Okay. And I thought we can easily get, we can easily get that to the table. And the reason why I'm so excited for City Builder is just because of the Carcassonne love my wife has. He, you and I, when we played that game with the tile laying, I, I want that one. That's one of the ones I'm really dying for. Okay. Yep. And we played it on uh, Tabletop Simulator, which I'm not a big fan of. Mm-hmm. But what I like, uh, tile laying, yes, that's great. But what I love was the whole mechanic of the shared, mm-hmm. was it resources or whatever? I can't remember what we were sharing where uh, you were pulling from one side of the track and I was pulling from the other. Yeah, it's as we were building it up. That's what we were doing. Yes. Uh, from from that's, and If you took from that, you got to. When we get to the game, we'll talk about it a lot more. <laughs> We there's a mechanic in there that we can't remember what it was, but we thought that's cool. Yeah, I, it was. Yeah, and then there's the co-op side of it. So I'm I'm, mm. I'm excited yep. for that. Uh, then of course Elixir Dice. I'm happy to get yes. that from from uh, one of the places where we have a discount code. Uh, Metal Dice, Metallic Dice, Metallic Metal Dice, dice. Yes. Metallic. Yes. Uh, then I've got uh, Ascension Tactics. That's going to be coming. Yeah, right? that's going to be good. Is I wonder if it's still on schedule. Who knows with all the stuff that went on last year, if any of these are actually going to hit in time. Well, Stoneblade has been given good updates. So uh, still August 2021 is when it's scheduled to get here. So by then, we'll be able to actually sit together at a table with a lot of people. I am really, really looking forward to that game. So I also backed Freedom 5, a Sentinel Comics. I did back oh, yeah. that. Well, it's got three of my favorites, The Saddlers and, and Lanius. And we played the prototype at TantrumCom last year. God, was it last year or two years ago? I can't even remember. I can't even remember. And, you know, so we got that. And then the one I didn't tell you about is I did back Unforgiven, the Lincoln assassination trial. I'm glad you did. Who's that by? Do you, Can you see real quick? I can see if the computer responds fairly quickly. You know? <laughs> so, for, so 
Tony's daughter had to take his computer back to college because hers crapped out. So Tony is working on his his laptop from work, which is extremely locked down. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's it's slow. Yeah, he needs a new computer over there. Yeah, so it, it's created uh, it's created by Tom Butler. So I'm not sure what the name of his company is. It's not. Why wouldn't it not just show me on the? Front? That's all right. Yeah. That's all right. I, I I know the game. I'm, I'm excited about it. I am too. I'm I'm very. Excited I like the theme it. of it. So yeah. So hopefully 2021 will bring us some uh, new games along with all the regular publishers. So I'm excited for that, that I'm going to hopefully remember like you, a box shows up and suddenly there's a game. Oh, Oh yeah. I remember that now. (laughs) Yeah. I, I don't know about you, but I back way less games than I used to way less games because I figure unless there's something that is like awesome, Stuff that I'm not going to be able to get later on. And in fact, Tony, I'm tempted by one right now. The new Come On Kickstarter. Uh, that's of the Looney Tunes games. Mm-hmm. The Mayhem games. The painted figures in that of the Looney Tunes characters are phenomenal. And they had the add-on package of Wile E. Coyote and Roadrunner. That's the one I would want. I would just want them for the figures to put up around here in the office. I just can't decide if I want to pull the trigger or not. I agree with you about the Looney Tunes, but I'm more wanting Jinkies. I'm wanting the Scooby-Doo game just, ah. just because. So how about this? Maybe you and I go in together because there's one pledge where you get the Scooby-Doo game and one of the Mayhem games. Mm-hmm. And I'll take the Mayhem and you take the Scooby-Doo. And that way we get to play both. Works for me. Because, yeah, I'm, I'm just because I, I can see some of the villains as things get unlocked. And, uh-huh. one, of my, and one of my favorites is the uh, Deep Sea Scuba Diver villain. Oh, yeah, I saw that one. That was so, cool. So I'm just like, and just like you, yeah, I would love the Looney Tunes, but just having the villains from Scooby-Doo, I think that's awesome. Yeah, I, I, let's go in together. It's a it's a plan. We'll both back that one together, and then I'll just try to avoid all the others as much Once as I Once again, can. you're spending my money. Okay. <laughs> what you're telling me is we'll go into that. So wait a minute. I just dropped X amount of dollars on a new Switch game, which you've started, and I'm going to probably start tonight. Immortals Phoenix Rising. Mm-hmm. And then you sent me a link to another one that I need to buy because it's uh, greatly discounted. Well, if you wait uh, too much longer, then it won't be discounted anymore. It won't be tempting. I can't remember which one that was. Oh, my heavens. I know. I was just like, Marty, really? I don't have time. Oh, oh, it was the Tales of Vespia because you said you... There was a, a JRPG that you liked on the GameCube, and this is what is similar to that if you like JRPGs. Yes, it was uh, Tales... Uh, what was that? Tales of Ar- Arcadia Sky or something like that from the GameCube game yes yes yeah. love that game so yes so I need to go out there and get that because it's greatly discounted I mean we're talking it's like $13 when it's normally $50 exactly yep just keep spending my money dude that's my goal here uh, not a problem Marty refreshes his drink and probably grabs another Mountain Dew melon, major melon. I'm going to do the commercial for Miniature Market. That's miniaturemarket.com. We say this often, but if you are not signing up for their newsletter, you are probably missing out some of their big board game sales. They've just completed their up to 70% off sale, best board game sale of the year so far. You got to love that from Miniature Market. And there were some incredible deals on that. Matter of fact, Marty teased me that he was going to pick up a couple of them, but he wasn't going to tell me what. He just says there's some that, man, we've been wanting to play, and therefore he was going to do it. Be sure to go check out and sign up 
for their newsletter. Also, I want to point out that they've also got in a whole new shipment of folded space organizers, as well as a lot of new games are starting to roll into the warehouse. So be sure to go check them out at least daily for anything that might tickle your fancy in the new year. That's miniaturemarket.com. Five minute initiative begins in three, two, one. Sometimes you just got to sit back and play a light, easy game to cleanse yourself. Kind of like, you know, cleansing your palate after a great meal. Marty and I got to do that recently. We got to play a very light game called Red Cap Ruckus, designed by Kevin Udy, published by WizKids. And we found out recently from our good friend Nate that, that uh, the designer, Kevin, is actually a North Carolinian, Marty. Uh, yeah, I didn't even realize that either. He's from Asheville. 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 Yes, yeah. that's very cool. All right, and I'm going. And we promised this year we were going to keep things pretty simple on our board explanations and we do five minute initiatives pretty quick. <laughs> so I'm going to do this. I'm going to go straight from BGG. Red cap. Yeah, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. This ain't fair. This is a simple game to explain compared to like something like you're going to make me explain um, cedars in a little bit. But go ahead. Okay. So. Red Cap Ruckus, you command a horde of gnomes, known as Red Caps in English, fighting to control the mushroom top battlefield and capture the great crystal. The premise of the game is you're basically putting on these chips in your zone and you are pushing them onto the top of the mushroom. First off, the reason why this game spoke to me is that one of the gnomes is grumpy. <laughs> He's not happy. So, so when WizKids reached out to me and said, hey, do y'all have any interest? I said, well, of course I do. It speaks to me. It's got a grumpy gnome in it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And of course, it's most victory points. But one of the things that's unique about this game, when you push someone else's gnome off, that's positive points for you. Now, a gnome is a poker chip. It's a poker chip, plain and simple. And you're playing on a pedestal. It's a nice little cardboard pedestal with a flat top. So you say it's a mushroom. It's supposed to look like a mushroom, but it's not rounded. Mm -hmm. And Tony, you said, hey, you know those games we used to play in the arcade where you drop a quarter into a slot and there's a whole bunch of quarters there and you have this bar that moves back and forth. Mm -hmm. And if you drop a quarter and it happens to push off any quarters down into the catch below, you win some money. That's exactly what this game is. Believe it or not, there is actually some strategy in this game of how to push, where to push, setting up certain ones. Because some of the gnomes you push with twigs. One of the gnomes that you push, you have to follow it up with its twin. And then, of course, your fighting champion always goes out first, and he has the most point. So whoever pushes off the great crystal and all the gnomes you capture of your enemies are positive points. Any gnomes that you push off on your own turn, they are negative points. Seeing how that sets up and all, it was just fun. It was relaxing. Yeah, it, it is. And uh, there's simple little rules. It's like you, you have a little area where you have to place your chip. And then you, basically you use your finger and push it onto the table, you know, until you're flush with the uh, cardboard mushroom. And then you stop. But you're trying to carefully push it so that maybe you could push one chip that pushes another chip that pushes another chip, hopefully to push something off on the other side to get a points. And then you say each of the chips have some abilities, right? Mm -hmm. There, There's different types of chips. You, like you mentioned, one, you have these little cardboard twigs you try to push with the twins. What did the grumpy do? Grumpy was minus five points. If you push off anybody's grumpy, it was minus five points. Ah, so you want to push off everybody else's token except that one. So strategically, you try to put your grumpy close to the edge so that maybe you'd accidentally get pushed off from somebody else. There's strategy, but it's definitely for a younger crowd. Now, Donna and I played this and two players, I'll, I'll be honest, straight out the bat, 
it wasn't a lot of fun. Just wasn't mm-hmm. fun. But when you, me, and Bert played it, I actually I, I had fun with it. It was kind of it was nice. It was a good way to end a heavy game night. Yeah, and I think four players would be even better. And then uh, Bert has some uh, kids in his house, and so he took it with him, and he said they had a blast. He said they sat and played it a couple times, so it's a perfect family game. It plays in maybe 15, 20 minutes. There's almost zero setup. You put up the mushroom crystal in the middle, divvy out your coins, and you're up and running. I will say that the chips that represent the gnomes are awesome. There's like almost splendor quality. I just wish that the crystal had just been a poker chip in itself, but instead it's a cardboard standee with this crystal in the middle. I see it from the the visual aspects of it, but if it had just been a crystal, I would have been very happy with that. The tuck mm-hmm. boxes that contain the crystals are very nice uh, construction. Overall, I I was pleased with the game. I appreciate WizKids sending it to me. If you have young kids, I would say definitely go check this out. Marty, your final thoughts? Same thing. It's a fantastic family game. Again, it mimics that game in the arcade where you're trying to push quarters off of a level and try to win money. It's the exact same thing. Great family game and great light game for just regular gamers. So that is Red Cap Ruckus, designed by Kevin Udy from WizKids games it doesn't say on publisher on bgg it doesn't say whiz kids <laughs> games it just says whiz kids i'm not gonna give me by five dollars for that no i'm not doing it five minute initiative is complete Speaking of WizKids, which we just talked about they also have another game that's coming out called cedars from sirius sirius Sirius? Yes. <laughs> Exodus. This is chapter one, Tony. That is a long title of a board game. Cedars from Sirius, episode one, Exodus. But we're just going to call it Cedars for short. This is a sci-fi themed game. And it's the first game in a serial of 10 set in this universe. And I'm just going to read because Tony's making me tell, make sure that the rules are short. Here we go <clears throat> from BGG. Let's have a little a little sci-fi music in the back. Oh, good gosh. Just read the rules. Shh, 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 Let's get to the mood. Here we go. When an unknown force threatens to render their home uninhabitable, the Cedars must build arcs, giant colony ships, to endure their survival. Players work to create the most promising design to be chosen for production. Each turn, players draft cards into their hands as cards are laid out on the board. Players strategically place negotiator chips between the cards they want, using their alignment and position to determine who has the most influence over a desired card. Once all negotiators and tokens are placed, influence is calculated and the winners of each card is determined. Once obtained, cards can be played for points, adding value to your arc, or discarded for resources. Each card represents a different component of the arc, locations, items, personnel, and players will find unique synergies between cards as well as their player color's unique power. Asymmetry and complex interactions add layers to the strategy that lead to a unique experience each time you play Cedars. Okay, turn off music now. There you go. You know, we could shorten this up by about another two minutes, but that's okay. funny so mechanisms auction bidding uh card drafting deck bag and pool building yeah uh-huh 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 mechanisms liking that area majority man area majority this is 
to me, similar to Gates of, of Mara in that, number one, it's a sci-fi themed game. We covered Gates, Gates of Mara earlier if you want to go back and listen to it. But it's all about uh, trying to gain influence over locations. And by doing that, you could get rewards. Now, Mara was a little bit more complex. There's a lot of different things you can gain. Here, you've got a board laid out of 12 different cards. And you, like you said, like I said in the uh, description, each of you have negotiator chips that you're going to put on to the board that will be in between two cards. By doing so, you're getting influence. You put down influence cubes on those cards. And once every negotiator token is placed, you evaluate who has the most cubes on each card and you get those cards. And so that part, Tony, is just pretty much straight area majority. The strategy comes in and how you get those cards. What is your engine? When we play this, you start seeing the engine being built. Oh, 100%. So there's two different types of cards. There's units and crew to build your arc. You can put a unit into place, then assign crew members to work it. Crew members actually just adds additional benefits to those particular cards. And uh, Tony, we didn't mention though, that negotiator chips have symbols on them. And if you happen to place a negotiator chip beside a card that matches that symbol, it adds one additional influence cube to that card. It's not just like you're, well, you're just putting these chips out on the board. The types of chips you put determine the amount of influence that we put on particular types of cards, which also adds to the strategy. And very important, because like you said, it's, it's got that majority control right there. So you have to think in advance. If I'm going to place this negotiator out here, oh, he's purple and there's these purple cards. How do I place him? I may have to sacrifice from another card. I also found myself sitting there going with this game. Who do I not want to worry about negotiating? Because these negotiators can be enhanced. They can be upgraded. I like this part. Mm -hmm. Anytime that you're rewarded a card, you take one of the negotiator chips that are beside that card back onto your player board and you take the card along with it. Once all cards have been divvied out, any negotiators on the board have their influence upgraded. So when you started out, it has an influence of 1-1, one, one, which means a card on the left and the card on the right gets one influence cube. Uh, when you get your first upgrade, you can upgrade to 1-2 or 2-1, which means one side will get two influence cubes. The other side gets one. It can go up to 3-3. Three, three. So, Tony, that part is strategic. It's like, I really want to try to make sure this chip doesn't win a card so he can get upgraded and stronger in future rounds. Mm -hmm. And also, it challenges you on your placement because, like you said, when you have to pull that card off, you have to take a negotiating chip. You need to figure out, if I place one here... I might want to place one on the other side so I can keep my influence and I'll sacrifice over on another card later just so I don't pull one that I want to increase the influence. Oh, but wait, there's some other cards on this board that I really want. So you've really got to think through the whole turn that you're getting ready to take. I'm just glad there were only six negotiators that I had to place. You know, because it would have gotten ugly for me. I would have been like, wait a minute, I won't do this. I won't do this. But I liked how we did not bog down with the AP on this game. You don't think so? As our arcs built, as our units got better crew, I don't think we had that AP. Now, I'll admit it took us a while to play through our various engines. I will say that. But once we got that engine figured out what we want, we pretty well knew after the first or second, especially after the second round, what we were going to work on. Yeah. And you're only going to play four rounds. Yeah. I think putting the negotiator chips went quick, but I think like you said, once you start getting a bunch of cards in your hand, then you have to determine what kind of engine you want to build because these 
cards can do a lot of different things and they're dual action cards. There's also resources that you can uh, collect. The way you get resources is discard one of the cards you just earned and it has a resource value on it. And then you're going to get these little orange, nice little gems that you put into your supply. But then you can take a card from your hand and put it into play in your arc and there's a cost to play it. And that's where you take those orange gems that you just collected and put them back into the general supply. That's how you pay to play cards. So discard a card to get resources, spend those resources to actually play a card. But now, Tony, those cards could do a lot of different things. Oh, yeah. Some of them had, when you put them into play, maybe you earned an ability or earned extra worker. Or maybe it was an in-game scoring mechanic based on if you had majority of this or that. Or it was a safe where you could collect those resources where each round you're given victory points for the number of items that you have in your safe. Or... Uh, there was an activation where if it's in play, you could exhaust it and take an ability on it. To me, that's where it slowed down a bit because if you're holding a handful of four or five cards, well, mm-hmm. then it took a little time to decide what to do with them. Yeah, and so these cards, they, they have three capabilities. They, they have the cast ability, the technical abilities, and prestige abilities. So, you know, and like you're saying, this, this, there were cards like the Jailer, mm-hmm. which would capture cards from the board that you could then use. So I could go, if I had a jailer card and I spent the resources, I could go capture one of your cards, pull it over to mm-hmm. my side and then release it from the jail. And now it's one of my crew. Right. Bert was working on the hospital stuff. And I was working on safes and that's the one where I, I should have done that something besides safes. I, I didn't get that one to work. And I was creating cults with my cr- recruitment cards, my converts and doing that kind of stuff. And, mm-hmm. and then the cards have, like you said, there's, they had these activation. Hey, you spend a resource or you do this, then you can get something from that. But Marty, for me in this game, probably the hardest thing was after I collected my cards and I had that fistful of cards, it was saying, man, I really want these, but which ones do I want to discard to get the resources? That's where I had a lot of problems. That's where I got into my AP because it was one of those things I needed to sacrifice some really good cards that I just got. And I was actually doing that. I was looking at the cards thinking, okay, those have three resources. If I sacrifice them, I'll get three resources that can help me pay later. So sometimes Mm -hmm. I wasn't even trying to get cards to add to my crew. I was just trying to get higher resource cards so I can then use that to spend later for those activations. We could go into a lot more explanation on this game, but overall for, for me, it was as long as my engine worked, I was scoring the victory points that I needed and hope that I got it set up. Now, there was one time in this game when we were playing where none of my engine came out. And I was like, oh, man, what is this going to do? And so that's why I was thankful that I I recognized, hey, I could use these cards to help pay for other cards later. Yeah, it's one of the things that the uh, there's a lot of cards in this deck, but don't be intimidated by that because there's a lot of duplicates. And you can kind of start seeing some of the same cards over and over. And you can also kind of like hope, oh, if I can get that particular card that I'm looking for in the next 12 that come out, fantastic. That'll just help me uh, build my engine. So there's almost like two phases to this game. There is a couple... I guess there's about five phases to the game. <laughs> but there's there's two main things of this game. You got this really cool area majority by placing the tokens out on the board and beefing up your negotiators to have more influence over the course of the game for the whole purpose of trying to, at the end, activate this engine that not only can give you maybe additional abilities during the course of the game, but 
had the in-game scoring abilities with the whole goal of basically getting the uh, most points. And I did really, 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 really bad on this. You and uh, Bert finished very close together. I believe you won, Tony, and I finished way down below everybody else. I did. Yeah, you won this one, right? It was a, the first game, so you're you're exploring what these various abilities are. You don't know how they work together. So multiple plays will prompt you to probably develop a better engine. Do I want to have the recruits there coming out, the converts? Do I want a jailer working with them? What is available to me when I get the draw of the cards? Then what cards do I want to bring into my hand? So you have to work through that. And based on the how the cards and the board are seated, then you can very much say, okay, I see what strategy I want. Hopefully we'll be able to work with. Now you mentioned the player interaction, the ability of the jailer that, that we already mentioned, then the ability where if I destroy a unit, suddenly your crew doesn't have the capabilities anymore and you have to rearrange these people to be able to use them. You can really mess with one another, which I appreciate, but not to the point where I thought Marty, that it was a, system that wrecked somebody you know you you could recover just kind of overview i think the game was somewhat easy to teach mm-hmm. it probably took about a couple hours to play with uh three people i think three people was a good number four people would make it a little bit longer just because more uh chips going down on the board there's more people having to take their turns to build their engine and everything like that <laughs> you do have to sticker the negotiator to, uh, token story that took a little while they're really nice like plastic or acrylic mm-hmm transparent chips but i did have to sticker both sides it, it wasn't that bad of a deal but th- so the components look really nice once it's out on the table so you mentioned gates of mara i liked cedars more than gates why did you like gates more than cedars did i say i liked gates more than cedars you did well that's at least what i read in our uh, uh, notes to back and forth yeah but we haven't told the audience that yet Okay, well, we're telling them now. I like Cedars <laughs> more than Gates. Yeah, so at the very end of the game, I was like, man, this is really cool. It really reminds me of Cedars because it's kind of about area control, area influence, and building a little engine to help with that. You and Bert said you happen to like Cedars more. I happen to like Gates of Mar more. And I think the reason why is there's a tad a little bit more complexity to it. Number one, different workers in Gates of Mar had different abilities and basically it came down to the amount of influence they had, which is kind of the same thing in Cedars. You could build up to where some tokens just have a lot more influence than others, but it kind of starts out that way in Gates of Mar. So where you place your workers can give you more influence in certain areas. I kind of like the double area influence thing in, in Mar, meaning each round you're fighting over influence of a particular realm board. And again, you can go back, listen to our review kind of get what we're talking about, but you can get area majority in a particular realm board. And by doing so that particular round, that'll help you towards the area majority at the end of the game. Also, each realm board can give you certain abilities. There's another board off to the side where you send to get upgrades to your additional workers. So your workers can be upgraded, which I thought was cool. So the engine building mechanic of that one just appealed to me more, but I will say it's on the complexity level. It is a notch higher than Cedars, in my opinion. Okay, that's fine. Now, and so for me, the very reasons why you were talking about what you liked, I felt it was too much in a game. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I liked Gates, but I felt that game was more about area control than an engine. It was heavily towards that. And that's not one of my favorite mechanics, where Cedars was just the opposite. Build the engine. Okay. Okay. 
So I think it is. It's what do you like? Not because I got blasted in, in Gates. It was more or less that just the, <laughs> I, I don't know, the the area control just didn't work for me. And I, I mentioned that in, when we talked about the game. Yeah, you did. You're consistent. And again, I thought Cedars was a fun game. And if you say, hey, Marty, you want to play Cedars again? 100% I would play it again. Because now that I see there's so many different types of engines you can build. Like you said, you can build an engine off the whole mutagen aspect or the safe aspect or the jailer aspect. There's different things you can kind of focus on. And you can try to deny other people those same types of um, ability if you see them building that. So two recent games from WizKids Games, both sci-fi games. Both kind of lead into the area majority thing, especially the whole mechanic of, you know, in Gates of Mara, you put out workers, which puts out influence, and then you resolve whoever has the most influence in certain areas. Same thing with Cedars. You put out negotiators, which give influence over cards, and whoever has the most uh, will actually earn that card. If I was going to pull out both of these games, I just want to teach the game really quick. I would say Cedars. I think I could teach Cedars quicker than Gates of Mara. I just think Gates of Mars is more of a brain burner to me than what Cedars was. Hey, that's why these games are exist for different types of people. Absolutely. And I agree with you. Cedars is going to be that game that I can... Donna enjoys her engine building games. Uh, other games like Gizmos, things like that. She she enjoys that type. It's a simple... To get the cards, it'd be a simple concept for... I brought bring out Gates of Mars. Well, you can only place these people in this location and these people in this location. Yeah. Uh, you got to match the symbols. Oh, and by the way, this one gives you this influence, this influence over there. Da, 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 da. It'd be over before it even starts. So that is Cedars. This is uh, episode number one. There's supposed to be nine others. This was a Kickstarter from a couple years ago, and it's just now being brought over to the U.S. from WizKids. And I, I do have a footnote here that I need to say. There is a rule book that is on BGG <laughs> as of this recording. <laughs> Tony's laughing because that rulebook is incorrect. <laughs> the one that's in the box is correct because there was a couple rules that we were very confused on. And come in, lo and behold, the one on BGG and the one in the box conflicted against each other. Afterwards, we contacted WizKids and they said, yes, ignore the one that's on the BGG website. We've tweaked the rules, made a couple changes, play by the ones that are in the box. It makes a difference in uh, how many cards you have in your hand and what you do with workers at the end of a phase that are not assigned to a unit. That's where the difference is between the two. Just go by the one that's in the box is what I'm saying. But he did have a post on January 7th, 2021. So I think they've updated it. Okay, okay, excellent. I think we're good to go. That's Cedars from Sirius, episode one, Exodus from WizKids. Oh, you're right. It doesn't say games below it. Uh, just from WizKids. There you go. Did you happen to catch PortalCon 13? If not, you missed three brand new games that were announced from Portal Games. First is a strategy game, Eleven. This is a football manager board game. Now, when I say football, I mean European football or U.S. soccer. But this is an economic strategy board game set in the world of sports. The player's task is to manage and grow their own football club over the course of a season. Next is Dreadful Circus from Bruno Duty. This is a set collection game where players are trying to create the most successful circus. The game comes with a unique twist. Over the course of the game, 
players buy cards that have special final scoring rules. As the game progresses and more cards are gained, each player develops their very own final scoring rules. No game is the same, and no player at the table scores the same way. And finally, the big surprise, Dune House Secrets. This is based on the extremely popular book and upcoming movie, Dune. This is a trilogy of Dune-themed cooperative adventure games using the detective system. In this game, players take on roles of rebels who must solve a series of challenging missions with a finite amount of time and resources. Players cooperatively make decisions on how to progress the story as they decide to explore different regions of the world, follow leads, leverage allies, and overcome the opposition of all kinds. To find out more in these three brand new games and updates to other games coming out this year, head over to PortalGamesUS.com. Five minute initiative begins in three, two, one. By definition, the what are you doing? You're you're cutting into my time. You just give me an extra ten seconds on my five minute initiative. That's, that's I'm sitting here opening up uh, Nan, Lance Nikot lemon cream cookies for my afternoon snack. <sighs> Would you like to restart the time? No, no, no. Too bad. No, uh, you should, your, we're going to run this. And uh, no, I'm running an extra thirty seconds now. So just. All right, I'm going <clears> to <throat> Merriam-Webster defines renature as to restore to an original or normal condition. And that is exactly what's going on in the latest game, Renature from Capstone Games, designed by Michael Kiesling and Wolfgang Kramer, two big-name designers who've come out with games like Azul, El Grande, Downforce. They have a lot of uh, great games in their pockets. So when Capstone said, hey, would you be interested in checking this out? We said, why, yes, we would. This is a big, beautiful board that has running brooks around it and these brown patches in the middle that you are trying to restore. And you're trying to do that by basically playing dominoes. And when I sat down to teach the rules, I said, okay, has everybody played dominoes? Burke shakes his head. And Tony goes, nope, never played. How have you never played dominoes? I've just never played. The only dominoes I've ever played has been Mexican Train. So right then and there, set a level for me. <sighs> okay. So anyway, so everybody's going to get a, a pool of dominoes that they're going to use. And these dominoes have two sides, like uh, typical dominoes. Uh, but there are animals on here. There's like squirrels and lizards and turtles and birds and bats and butterflies, etc. And on your turn, you're going to place a domino. One end of your domino that you place much match the another end of a domino that's been placed before it. And you're placing them around these brook tracks that are on the board. And once you enclose one of the brown areas on the board with dominoes, then you're going to score what's inside because every time that you place a domino, you have the option of placing plants into those brown areas. Everybody starts with a certain number of plants and they're range in different sizes from turf to bush to pine to oak with oak being the largest. And when you place one of your pieces into a brown area, you're immediately going to score. You'll score one for placing a plant. Then you're going to score an additional point for every plant that is smaller than or equal to the plant you just placed. So if I place a bush and there's another bush in there and a turf and a pine, well, I'll score for the bush that's in there and the turf, but not the pine because the bush is smaller than the pine. And then once you encompass an entire area, uh, you're going to see who has the most points. Each of those plants have a point value from one to four with oak being the most. You're going to count up each color that's in there. Whoever has the most points wins that area majority. And there's a token area that says if you get first place, you get X amount of points. 
Second place gets X amount of points, and whoever closed in that area just gets the token, which is kind of secret points at the end. So really, it's just you place a domino, you place a plant, try to close in areas. Whoever has the most points at the end wins. Sounds simple enough. It is simple enough. To set up the game, you're just going to randomly put out those area tokens. And once everybody has placed their dominoes, the game will basically end at that point. You reveal those tokens that you collected that has some points on the back, and then that's it. Let's be very clear here. I love Keeslin Kramer games. Six Nymph. Yes. One of my all-time favorite. To Call. One of my first introductions. One of my first buys from Origins. Love To Call. Love all their games. But sometimes games don't gel with you. Okay. Hey, purely transparent. Not a fan. I am not a fan of this game. And probably, Marby, Marty, I'm sorry the, the, the cookie got in my way there. The reason why I'm not a fan is trying to set it up. Trying to set up my play. And then... You come along and steal it. I've already said, I'm not a big fan of majority control and how this played out and how certain things just, it did not sit well with me. I had dominoes that had all butterflies on them on my turn and I was stuck. I had to be able to spin to change the wild. And then you come along and spend some money and change the wild so it's no longer butterflies. Well, we didn't mention that. So everybody starts with cloud tokens at the beginning of the game. There is also a wild. So it just says that one of the animals is going to be wild so you can place it anywhere. You can at any time spend two clouds of the six that you have in order to change the joker animal to some other animal. Mm -hmm. But those clouds can also be used to take an extra turn, spend three, take an extra turn, or you can spend clouds to return pieces from the game board back to you because maybe you've expended all your oaks, but it's like, hey, I need another oak and I need to get it back, back in place. And heaven forbid you're not planning everything, it's going to be negative point. That's right. So you got to make sure that your board is cleared. And we didn't even mention, Tony, that everybody's also given neutral color plants. And this is what I like about this. When you place a neutral color plant, you still get points for placing it. But when you do the area calculation, area majority calculation, you also count up the number of neutral colors in there. And let's say it has majority. It's just nobody gets those points. Right. I really dug that because you can mess with somebody else's area. It's like, oh, you think you're going to win those points? Here's a neutral color plant. No, you're not. And when you add up the area majority, if two people tie, they cancel each other out as if they're not there. And if there's a third person there, they win both first and second place points. See, there's all these little placement strategies of placing the um, plants that I just dug, man. Okay, well, good. I'm glad. Dig them up. Dig up them plants. Replant them. Do what you want to do. You don't have to like every game. Like I said, two of my favorite designers. Every game has usually been a hit from them. But for me, this game just did not resonate. It's on your shelf. Come and ask me if I want to play it again. I'll give it another try. But once again, once I kept getting the same stupid animal on But my, you could change that. Yeah, I could change it to make them wild or toss yes. a tile or toss a tile out. That's not going to give me anything. That's not going to help me. Okay, but if you keep getting the same animal, change the change the wild to the animal that it is. Did you can place I it? I did. Anywhere. And then y'all changed it to another one. And yet I'm still stuck with that. That was my problem. I okay. sat there. I had six animals. Four of them were the same animal. And I was like, okay, it's, it's, that's now wild. Oh, good. I can place this one. Oh, wait. Y'all just change it to the badger. Well, crap. That's what didn't resonate with me. I'm not a fan of dominoes. So I think that also came in. I was okay. like, I'm not a fan of dominoes. Okay. Well, that's, that's fair. I will say that this is in their simply complex line of games. And I love that name because the rules are very simple. You place a domino. You have the option to plant a plant and get some points. 
complex in this, like, where am I going to place this domino? How can I close in this area? How can I try to get some points? How can I mess up somebody else? Even closing in an area, knowing that you're not going to get the points is fine because you still get the point token that's in the middle. Like I said, the token, it describes how many points first and second place will get, but whoever enclosed it gets to put that uh, token into their supply and it's worth some points at the end. And the production is amazing. Big, chunky wooden dominoes. All the plants are wooden. It looks great on the table. Tony, you're not a fan. I am. I think this is a fun little family game. I think it's easy to teach. And I'm starting to warm up to area majority games like this one. For me, I, I, I dug it and I, and I will keep it on my shelf. Once again, not every game's going to hit home with you. Not every game's going to be a home run. And that's a-okay. That's the way it is because there are some games that I love that you don't love. So once again, this five-minute initiative, t- five minutes of it was you and I arguing back and forth while I was wrong. <laughs> I'm good with that. I will say in our survey, people were talking about the value of a game. I just want to say the value of this game is amazing because on Miniature Market, you can buy it for $37.99. The amount of components you get in this is ridiculous. I don't know how. Uh, the MSRP is 50 bucks. I don't know how Capstone could sell this game with all those wooden chunky dominoes, fantastic art, wooden plant pieces for just 50 bucks. So when it comes to value, heck yes. Especially if you can get it on sale for $37.99. This again is Renature from Capstone Games. Designers Michael Kiesling, Wolfgang Kramer, plays two to four players, about 45 to 60 minutes. Tony, not a huge fan. Me a big fan. You just get to decide on your own, I guess. Five-minute initiative is complete. So one other game Marty and I got to play is Hallertau. Hold on. I'm going to try it again, Marty. I've got it pulled up here on Google on how to pronounce it. Okay. Hallertau. Okay. Hallertau. What is that? It's learn how to pronounce it. It's just some site that no, came no, up. no. What is Hallertau? Well, funny you should ask me. <laughs> Hallertau in Bavaria, Germany, is the largest continuous hop producing region in the world. It prides itself upon being the first in Middle Europe to cultivate hops. So this is right up there with Bonacore. Hops equals beer equals Bonacore happy. Oh, so this game is about making beer? It could be. You could be about anything, but the game. But it's is not. <laughs> But it's not. When Hallertau became what it is today, a chief of a small Bavarian village in Hallertau, your objective, you're a chief, is to increase its wealth and prestige in the eyes of the world. So this game, you're placing workers out there with progressive worker placement. What do you mean by progressive worker placement? Meaning that you place a worker in a space, the next time a person wants to put another worker there, it's going to cost them a little bit more. Oh, okay. So the first time you place a worker, it costs one worker. Next time it costs two. The next time it costs three. So in Raiders, you would always place a worker, remove a worker, right? Raiders of uh, the North Sea? Yes. Yes. Did any of their games have this concept? Any of this mechanism? I like what you called it. Progressive cost, progressive worker cost. I, I don't believe so. I think every spot, well, it meant their progressive worker spot was you need a, uh, workers of a certain color to go there. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, what I like about this, Tony, is when you think of workers, you think of, okay, so everybody gets a set of workers in their color to place. 
No, there's just a common pool of workers. Workers just a blue cube. What I liked is, is at the beginning of the round, everybody's going to get a certain amount of these blue cubes. Everybody starts with six. You don't have your own workers. It's just you get a pool of workers at the beginning to put out on the board. Right. And depending on how well your town has been advanced will determine how many workers you get. So you who may have done a better job advancing your town's prestige and you can, you'll, you'll entice more people to come to your village. So maybe you'll get 10, 11 workers where I didn't do as well as you. And therefore I'm still stuck at only having nine people in my village. Mm -hmm. That's the first concept. So one of the things you've got to do in this game is you definitely have to advance your village. And the way you do that is by increasing your various types of buildings in your village, your, your craftsman building, your, your butcher, things like that. And there are certain calls, certain resources that you have to spend in order to advance those along a track. Once all these buildings have advanced, your large village can move up and just slides up and exposes the next level for you. That big building, and Marty, you'll probably say this better than me, that big building butts right up against your craftsmen or your, your various buildings inside your village. That's the best way I think about it. Yeah, this is one thing I wish we had uh, a video to show because it make a lot more sense. Everybody has mm -hmm. a player board and you got this, it's called, a, it's, got, it's a cottage with a window in it. Abutted to the co uh, cottage to the right hand side, like you said, are these five pieces of cardboard that represent buildings. They slide to the right. If all of them slide at least one space to the right, your cottage slides to the right to a butt up against it. When it does, a new, win a new number will show in that window, which is the number of workers you get. So like you said, you're constantly trying to push all those buildings to the right so that you can advance your cottage to get more workers. But what's interesting, Tony, is every round over six rounds, the cost to move those buildings gets higher and higher. So what you're doing is, is in your fields, you're trying to cultivate crops so that you can spend those to help advance those buildings because you're going to need f more workers in future rounds. And, and then there, there's the goods and then there's the resources. You have the brick versus the flax versus the wheat versus the hide versus the meat. You've got all these resources that you've got to manage. It's a balance between that because you have two more player boards. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Your other player board is a field board. And that field board can have up to eight fields in it. When your fields are there, you may sow a field. And at the end of the round, wherever that field is in the board equals amount of resources. So if your field is on the, on the two level, you, then you sow two wheat. Or if your field is all the way up at the top, you're going to get five wheat. Let's say if you had sowed wheat in that field. And you decide how that's done because the fields are cleared every year. Mm -hmm. With these fields... After you sow them, you've used the fertilizer, you've used the nutrients in them, that field's production drops. But if you let it go fallow, the fallow field will move up in production the following year. So it's a balance of your fields. Oh my gosh, my brain was already hurting. I thought that concept was cool. I did too. I made a joke earlier. It's like, hey, if it's about hops, it's about making beer. I think the theme is kind of weak in this game. I'm not sure what the theme is. It is just a very Uwe Rosenberg generic to me, getting a bunch of resources through worker placement in order to get some victory points. So I couldn't really attach the theme of, of sliding these buildings over, moving my cottage. And even though it, you do have hops, you have all these other things that you're trying to grow to. Regardless, I love this idea, like you said, of the fields of uh oh, 
field's been used. It's not going to produce as well the next year. But that's what the purpose of some of these worker placement areas are that you're going to place because some of them allow you to put a empty field into play. There's some places where you place a worker allows you to sow crops into those empty fields. Some let you advance those fields. Some give you some of those other resources like bricks or et cetera. So there's these other worker placement areas out on the board that you're trying to, uh, some give you jewelry, right? That's the other board you didn't mention because you can also get jewelry that you can use and jewelry can be important because when you want to advance one of your buildings and instead of spending all these types of particular resources to move your one of those buildings to the right, you can spend one jewel, which will allow you to move it to the right. Oh, and I haven't even mentioned the sheep. There's sheep in this game. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you're trying to collect some sheep so that you can then later send them to the butcher. That gets you your hide and your meat and your wool. As well as the sheep can also die if you don't, because there's another board. There's the field board, the farm board, which tells you how many resources you have to spend in order to advance your various buildings. So at the beginning of the round, you remove one of those cards without looking at place it, push your workers on it. But when you collect a sheep, when you go buy a sheep from the market, it goes into the field below the round you're on. If you don't, Remove a sheep from a field by the time you get to that round, and there's only six rounds, that sheep dies. Unless you advance that sheep, you shear the sheep to get wool, and you advance them along in the rounds. So you've got to manage that if you got the sheep, because sheep are victory points. You can get victory points for advancing your building. You can get victory points for advancing all your little buildings. You can get victory points from various cards that we didn't even mention. There are four decks of cards on this main player board that where you're placing the workers that you will collect. Some are about the farm. Some are about gates. Some are about just in-game victory points. All that comes together to do basically collect resources, generate victory points, see who wins. Yeah, I will say about the cards, uh, four different decks of cards, like you said, some of them are production cards. So if you can pay the cost to get the card into play, every round you'll get whatever's on that card. Some of them are just kind of immediate. If you meet this certain condition, then you're going to be rewarded with the X amount of stuff. And what we found, Tony, in the rounds in the later half of the game, we had enough cards in our hand to generate some sweet combos on our turn because you can play cards at any time. It could be like, hey, I just met condition of this card. I'm going to pay this and get rewarded this. Because of that, I met the condition of this card, which allows me to do this and collect this. And so the card play mechanic generated some really cool combos. And some of those cards, when you play them, uh, they're worth victory points at the end. Some of them, when you played them, allowed you to draw a card. So you might get lucky, play a card that allows you to draw a card that you happen to already meet the condition of to play it to get more stuff. That part was really cool. I enjoyed that part of it. Best part I enjoyed, I wasn't feeding people. Oh, dude, such a good point. So a lot of his games, right, at the end of a round, if you haven't met certain conditions of something, you lose points or something, there's no way to lose victory points in this game. You have to manage your sheep. You don't have to manage the people. You're right, no, no negative points. And based on, like you were saying, the cards, it, turning those cards in, that became a big balance because round six – you and me and Bert were sitting there. Okay, how do I maximize all these point cards from my hand? Yeah. 
Yeah. And some of those cards were in, like you said, one deck was in-game scoring conditions, goals that you had. I had one about sheep. So that's why I was getting tons of sheep for the end of the game. But but they don't have to be in-game, but that's one of the ways that our minds thought about because if you wanted to sacrifice, oh, yeah. send, send 11 lambs to the slaughter, it's you could true. immediately play that card and get those points. You lost that, the, the sheep. Yeah, but you you could do it right then. I could have paid what was it six jewels on one of mine to get ten victory points for every sheep that you had at the end of the round. You got a milk, so mm-hmm. I had I, I had this big milk engine <laughs> from all the sheep that I had. I dug it. It's one of the most recent Rosenberg games I've really enjoyed. You know, he's been on the kick of the polynomial type thing. Kind of started with Feast of Odin. And it seems like a lot of games he's come out with has been the polynomial type, placing these and making the match. This has nothing to do with that. And it's kind of going back to his old school, kind of an Agricola Caferna feel. I dug this. I like mm-hmm. this way more than I did Feast of Odin. And I have to agree with Bert. Bert mentioned this in our play. He was like, tracking the resources was a pain. If you have nine brick... You don't collect nine brick into your pool. On your field board, you have numbers on the left-hand side that start at the bottom. One goes up to five. So you could have a brick on the five slot and then another brick on the four slot to remind you that the sums of those together is how many bricks that you have. But the problem is, and what uh, Bert said was, where you stack those resources is too narrow. Also, I lost track. Sometimes I had multiple wheat and then y'all kept yelling at me because when you sow a field, you back one of your resources down. Like if I want to sow wheat and I have four wheat, mm-hmm. I would back it down to three, pick up a wheat from the pool and put it on a field. Yes. You had to keep track of that and make sure that I need to sow a wheat and take it from my resource board if it was on three and place it on a field. I've just lost three wheat. So you had to be very fiddly with that mechanic. You had to yeah. pay attention to that. So so that, I think, is one of the challenges that people may have is keep making sure you keep those resources in line with what you need to do. I found this too, Tony. Don't bump the table uh, with oh. the little build, with the buildings that you're trying to advance because they're just sitting on a piece of cardboard. And sometimes I would go like, wait a minute. Is that building on this slot or is it on this slot? Oh, we forgot to mention one another resource, tools. Tool, because for some <laughs> because for some reason there are boulders that are in your way that you when you want to advance the buildings, they just kind of appear there. Uh, so you always can uh, move a building one slot to the right for free on your turn. If you want to move it a second time, you exhaust a tool in order to crack that boulder to be able to move it one more slot if you want to because nothing is stopping you from advancing one building multiple times and you may want to because like I said every round the cost to advance those buildings gets more and more but in future rounds you do get bonuses some of the cards say you can spend either this either this or either this uh let's say in round three you have to spend three in order to advance it in round three it may say well if you spend two different types for that card you'll have to spend two So there are bonuses that come into play. The one that was tricky, Tony, was the couple of cards where it says you could spend either one of these two bonuses, but you must spend more of this one than this one if you do so. You asked why they are there? Because you're clearing more land for your buildings so you unearth boulders. There's the thing for you. There's there. So so you're doing that. So And and the good news is, unlike uh, one game we played where our saws would dull and break, Yep. Our tools never would break until the very last one, until the last round six, and then they broke because tools are victory points. 
But one fifth of a victory point. Yeah, but by the way, at the very Ooh. end of the game, that's right. As far as the victory point, anything left on your board, everything is worth one fifth of a point. So then you can add up all the leftover resources and everything that you have to. So, yeah, Tony, I kind of gave a quick summary as as this is one of my favorite Rosenbergs I've played in a while uh, because he's he got away from the whole polynomial thing for a bit. I enjoyed it too. I like the dynamics of the resources and having to manage that. Uh, I enjoyed the ship sh- sheep shearing. Uh, concept of it, or just how to generate the various resources and what they were important. But most important to me, or, or most the thing I enjoyed the most, was the progressive worker placement. Mm-hmm. And the fact that on the next round, always the quadrant top rows clear. Unless you're playing less than four people, and then a card will tell you which quadrants will clear. And that may block your ability and during that round. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of interesting. I enjoyed, but that, that probably the progressive worker placement clearly on BGG. I didn't come up with this. I'm not that brilliant. That I love the most. But it's a really smart mechanic of, of the deck they have for which quadrants to clear as far as the rows. Like you said, in four player game, you just always remove the top row of every worker placement space. Each quadrant has like three spaces in it or a certain number of spaces in it. And then, like you said, you flip over a card in less than that. And the card will tell you if you're playing two-player, remove these. If you're playing three-player, remove these, etc. So it's not like the board clears. And so if there's a real popular place that people are going, it's always going to be expensive. So let's say, for example, in the last round, somebody had placed the three workers for that area where you know the best you could do is next round, you're going to have to place three workers there to go there again, and you're going to be the only one that can go there. So that is Holler Tau by Uwe Rosenberg from Lookout Game. On our survey, you asked for your getting it. You wanted to hear more about the games that we play with our family. So I'm bringing on my sons, Adam and Travis, to talk about the latest game, co-op game from Gale Force 9, Aliens, Another Glorious Day in the Core. When did this movie come out, Aliens? 19, we looked this up, 1980. I think it's 82. Okay. 82 or 83. And it was made by? James Cameron. This game is designed by? James Cameron. Oh my gosh, no, Andrew Halt. Andrew Halt. And this is a co-op game that basically is playing through the story of the movie. You have three campaigns that you get to play through and uh, they get progressively tell the stories you go along. You're going to play as one of the main characters in the game, such as Ripley or Frost. They're all here. All the main people are here. And uh, it has a, a zombie side feel to it, I would say. Right? I mean, you got characters that you move around, things will spawn, you try to fight the characters and there's a goal that you try to got to achieve. Yep, it follows the the format of player characters and then air quotes here, AI monsters <laughs> that kind of move and act according to a certain set of rules. It's very familiar. And um, on your turn, uh, you get to have two actions, which is also kind of standard standard stuff. You get to move. Every character has a unique speed that they have. Uh, you can attack, uh, which is going to roll a D10. Now, I thought this was kind of cool. So you can equip weapons. And for the campaigns, you get to go ahead and, and load out your characters. Now, I didn't mention this, but actually all the characters are always in, in play. Regardless of how many players there are, this plays from one to six all the named characters are in play. It's just whether they're on their hero side or on their grunt side. So we played a three-player game. 
In this first scenario, we're trying to find Newt, the little girl from the movie. So we had two characters that were played as grunts, and then we can take control or control those characters uh, on our turns and stuff like that. So all the characters are always in play, but you load them out with equipment. They can have a couple guns. They have a couple equipment so they can all feel special. So like when you attack, uh, I just thought this was kind of unique. You have an aim dial. And every time you take a shot, you have to rotate the dial down one. So you roll a D10. If you roll equal to or less than the value of your aim dial, you take a hit and you knock out an alien. So that's kind of basic how you fight. So your goal is going to be based on whatever the mission is. And like I said, in this first mission, we're trying to find Newt. So we're going into the station. She's hiding somewhere and there are these face down tokens on the board and we're trying to find her and get her out of the ship or out of the uh, facility. Before I go into I thought was some of the cooler mechanics, I mean, at that point, I mean, did y'all feel it was just kind of standard fare? I mean, did, it, did the characters feel unique or anything to you or the characters do relate to what they did in the movie, like Vasquez is better with the uh, the smart gun and Frost has the flamethrower. Like their gameplay does resemble what they performed in the movie. Mm -hmm. And I think they did a good job with flavor. I like the blips and how you're not really sure how many aliens are coming until you are in line of sight of a blip and it flips over and you see how many of those spawn. Yeah, and that's kind of funny in the movie, right? So they had this detector where you could always see this motion detector and that's what they're trying to emulate here. So after everybody activates... These blips will spawn on the board. They're spawn points on the board. And then you had this uh, motion detector deck, actually. And each of you are going to draw a card, and it tells you, okay, you're going to take a couple face-down blips, these tokens, and put them in the spawn point. As soon as you see that blip, it gets in line of sight, it flips over, and it tells you how many aliens it is. You take one of the models, alien models, and uh, for every additional uh, alien underneath it, or alien that's in that blip, you, t you just put a token underneath that model. So say it's, it's three, you take an alien model, and uh, you put two tokens uh, underneath it uh, to indicate that's actually three aliens. So I did like the whole motion detector mechanic and the blips that are moving around the board. It's like, oh boy, is that is that a lot of aliens? Or is it not a lot of aliens? You don't know until you get line of sight of it. It's very clear that they put a lot of effort into trying to replicate the... Uh the flavor and aesthetic of the movie in the game and um, the components and the cards and the models and even, you know, the the sliders and tokens and all that. And that that's very cool. It all comes out as very cohesive in, in a very in an aesthetic way. And I think that was very cool how they did that. And with the blips, it kind of co-ops the game mechanics in a way. Mm -hmm. I, I like that. So the unique mechanic I think is in this game is basically uh, this endurance deck, which is kind of like your life deck. Basically, all your uh, actions and your weapons and your equipment are in this endurance deck that you can draw over the course of the game. If you ever want to play a weapon, there's a cost. What you do is you take a certain number of cards either from your hand or the endurance deck and move them to the exhaust pile. Uh, there are certain times, there are certain skills and stuff, like there's some weapons that say you need to exhaust a certain amount, like some of the full auto weapons was exhaust two or three cards in order to use that weapon. So you take a couple cards, whatever the cost is from the endurance and put it to the exhaust pile. There are some that says, you know, just discard. There's a third that's a discard pile. And you're monitoring those two decks because if your endurance pile is ever empty, and then you have to start paying with things with your exhaust pile. But then your exhaust pile runs out. That ends the game. So that's the resource mechanic that you have to manage. There are ways in the game 
to uh, recover some cards. This is an exhaust pile and put them back in the endurance. You got to be careful because, uh, Adam, you had the full auto and it's like, full auto, just keep blasting. Well, every time you did, it was costing all these extra cards. So you run through that deck really quick, like you're running through ammo. That's the resource that you're trying to manage over the course of the game, plus all these crazy aliens that just kept popping up on the board. From a gameplay point of view, my favorite part was the endurance deck. I like how it is a communal resource pile it definitely adds to the feel that you're a team working together and it is sort of an all or nothing kind of deal where it is it does feel more like everybody wins or everybody loses as opposed to some co-op games where it is it is co-op because you're all working towards the same goal but when you have your own resources and your own things it does kind of feel like you're just doing something by yourself i'm using air quotes and the the communal endurance deck tracking things for every player adds a level of cohesion to the party that i really enjoy and it also cuts down on those moments in other co-op games where you're you're pointing fingers and it's like oh you didn't do this right you didn't do that right so because you're all i mean you live or die Mm -hmm. together basically that is true you i think this does really promote a good co-op experience i guess somebody could try to control everything but i I think there's just too much going on for there to be one person to try to control the entire game it feels like the game encourages centralized discussion more than anything else like yeah you have your characters that you have agency over but what it came down to is that each turn that came around we were all like all right what can we do with these characters what can we do with these characters and so on and so forth speaking of characters there's a lot of characters to manage Because, like I said at the beginning, it's not just the character you're playing, all characters are in play. And that is regardless of the number of players, from one to six. So if you're playing solo, I pick one of my characters, but then have to manage the other five. To me, that's getting a little crazy, because even with three of us, we're managing a couple extra characters. That was a lot to kind of maintain. I would almost rather play this game with five or six so that everybody's controlling their own character and I don't have to control something else. I 100% agree. I didn't closely read the rules, but it sounds like since you're playing one player, you're playing one full-powered character and multiple grunts, grunts, lower-powered characters, there are less alien spawns, and I don't think that the strength of the player character abilities counteracts how punishing some of the alien spawns can be. Well, like the one the one that just got us nine on this first mission, which typically it just tells you, okay, at spawn point, one, two, three, or four, put out one or two blips. This one says, and I quote, place three blips on each tunnel token and spawn point. We had one tunnel token on there. We got four spawn points. That's 15 blips that came on the board. There were aliens everywhere and uh, pretty much that end of the game for us. We ain't getting out of that one. Yeah, it's very... Uh very appropriate tonally um looking at the source material but it, it it just felt insurmountable when all the aliens came out we were like well if we if we do if one thing goes wrong if one dice roll goes wrong that's it because you have another round of aliens coming out next turn and it, it almost felt like maybe too much i guess because it was just uh not to sound like we were just complaining because we got shattered or anything <laughs> but it, it was a lot to deal with all of a sudden. And there's just a lot of tokens to track. So uh, like I said, for every alien, you put like cardboard tokens underneath. And as those... Uh, oh, yeah. We ran out of aliens. 
Yeah, we ran, we, we, and we ran a surplus of alien tokens. <laughs> and uh, so every time you, you kill an alien, you just remove one of those tokens from underneath the alien until there's no tokens there. And then you kill the alien and it's gone from the board. And again, attacking is really simple. Like I said earlier, you roll a D10. You, uh, if you hit your aim or less, it's just one alien's automatically gone. When they get up on you, they will attack you. You have a defense roll that you have to make, and if you succeed, yay, you get out of the way. If not, you get knocked down. Then you got to get somebody to come help you out, etc. Uh, so there's a lot little micromanagement when it comes to the alien phase, but man, that happens a lot in these co-op games of micromanaging the AI part. Talking about random dice rolls, Okay, like how many times did we try to get Newt to come and listen to us and help us out? It took seven tries before we succeeded. When we got up to Newt, anybody could try to get her to calm down is what they call it in the book. But Ripley would have been the best at it because Newt didn't run away from her. You had to roll a four or less or a D10. Took seven rolls before it happened. So it took us a very long time before we could even try to exit and try to win the game, and by that point, we were just kind of overrun by aliens. And that one stroke of bad luck just bought... I guess that aliens the time they needed to show up because those those extra turns just built more aliens on the board and that was more time we had to just sit there and couldn't do anything because we needed to get Newt before we could even progress towards the objective. Now I will say the campaign this is pretty cool. So say for example I was knocked down or one of the characters were knocked down. The next time the aliens will attack that character they're captured. There are multiple missions in this game. There's three story missions, but there's called rescue missions. So you play those missions to go and try to rescue, just like in the movie. Remember, they got captured. They were like cocooned or whatever. You go and try to rescue them to bring them back to your crew. That's kind of cool story-wise. Depending on how you do at the end of the game, the amount of cards that you have in your endurance deck will drop. The better you do, the more cards you get to carry over to the next campaign story. Any cards that were discarded... Some of those are going to get lost forever. So as you progress through the campaign, your endurance deck gets smaller. That's definitely a pro towards the flavor side of things. That's very flavorful. You lose people and that loses any ammo and weapons and equipment they were holding. But I feel that hurts the game side of things because you just as the player have less resources and since the endurance deck is another fail state, if you run out, it's, it's easier to lose. It's Mm -hmm. just easier to lose all around because you have less equipment and less characters to use. I feel that was one flavor choice they could have done without. I feel like that is too taxing on the player. That is too punishing for losing a character. Now, if you don't want to play through the story, they also have these things called bug hunts. They are just uh, one-shot scenarios. You go in uh, with your heroes. They're unequipped. Around the uh, map, there's going to be some chests where you can go and check out the chest, and that's how you get additional equipment that you can put onto you and stuff like that. You can just draw cards from endurance deck and get additional equipment. So you start out with nothing, and then you just try and go and hunt aliens. So there is that one mechanic. If you don't want to play the story, you can just kind of play against the game itself, which is kind of cool. I appreciate that. I always appreciate having multiple ways to play a game. And they also have two expansions. Uh, There is an expansion called Get Away From Her, You... And then it has B asterisk, asterisk, asterisk H, uh, which basically uh, extends its five expanding campaigns and adds five new bug hunt missions, two of which feature the, feature the alien queen. Uh, there are some another expansion which adds some additional characters and some additional endurance cards. So they do have a couple expansions out. We talked about this. We said 
if this didn't have the alien theme to it, it would kind of feel like to me, kind of like a, maybe just a generic co-op. I think this game needs the theme or it wouldn't be as interesting. I agree. The blips and the motion tracker and the endurance deck are gameplay wise, the things that are most interesting, but beyond there, there's no real draw to this game. Like when you're just seeing it on a shelf and you're perusing a game to, to buy or play other than the aliens name. Yeah. And again, if you're a big aliens fan, I think playing through the story, uh, the art on the cards is actual pictures or clips uh, uh, from the movie. Stills from the movie. The stills from the movie. Yeah, <laughs> clips from the movie. Yeah, the cards actually play a little. It's like an animated GIF on a card. Um, so th- that's in there. Now, <laughs> I will say this: talking about looking at the box on the shelf, nowhere on the box does it say that these have to be assembled. These are not pre-assembled miniatures. So I'm going to tell you right now: if you pick up this game and you do not have sprues or glue or maybe some files, snips. I said sprues. It comes on sprues. If you don't have snips to remove stuff from the sprues, uh, you're going to have to go buy this stuff before we can play this game. And I had to put together these models. And I will go ahead and tell you, getting the tails on these aliens is not easy. Luckily, I had the Warhammer uh, little paint holder thing with a little alligator clip so I could hold the tail on there. And Jamie from the Secret Cabal said, oh, you need to get the uh, the super glue accelerator, which I happen to have where basically you put some super glue in there and spray it once and it instantly hardens. So I started doing that, but it takes, it takes some time to get all the aliens and the figures put together. Yeah. For us around here, this isn't that big of a barrier. Like we, we've got, you know, snips hanging around. We got glue all over the place. We we've done this a million times, but for the average Joe walking and and like, is this a game that's going to be on sale like target or Walmart? No, it's going to be a hobby game only. Yeah. But even so, if you're just like a casual board gamer looking for something to play, that can be a pretty big barrier because it doesn't say it on the box. So all of a sudden you've opened the game after you brought it home from the store and realized, Oh, I need to go out and buy equipment and hardware before I can even uh, play the game or put the models together to play the game. I was just looking at the box, making sure I don't see it. You know, usually it says, you know, assembly required or something like that. I just didn't, I just didn't see it anywhere on the box. So aliens, I mean, y'all, you guys were excited to play because I believe alien aliens is one of your favorite movies, which is interesting because that movie predates y'all by about 20 years. I'm not sure. What was the appeal of aliens, aliens to y'all from somebody from a movie that came out back in the eighties alien, like the first one, 1979, is my favorite movie of all time. Whoa. Yeah. But I mean, the first time I saw it, it was just like on TV. It was just like on AMC and I watched it in seventh grade and I was like, wow, that's a really cool movie. (laughs) I don't know if I am film literate enough to explain why I like it so much. I think the aesthetic of both Alien and Aliens, where it's a bit of a more, uh, not necessarily dirty sci-fi, but a little bit of a more grounded sci-fi like things aren't pristine like everything like below smoke and it's dirty and things are boxy there's not a lot of like digital aspects things are still similar in ways to tech to today and just in general regular people dealing with these extreme alien threats (laughs) is just really interesting so alien and aliens. I mean, I guess you could have done an alien game, but then you just have one chasing you around the ship as opposed to a ton of them. There's the card game. Legendary. Oh, that's true. Alien. And it had aliens. 
and three and resurrection. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So look, if you're looking for a co-op game, miniature baseball game co-op, and you love the theme of the game, you know, give it a look. I will say, and I think all of us agree, that it's not necessarily something that's like, wow, this is groundbreaking. I do, the motion tracker is cool, very thematic. The endurance deck, the shared resource thing is kind of cool. I've, I like other games. I've talked about the game Seventh Continent before, where your deck that you use is also your life deck. That's what this kind of reminds me of, too. So this is out now. Just be forewarned. You do have to put the uh, miniatures together before you can play. So give yourself a couple hours to do that before. Just don't expect to bring it out to the uh, table at the game night and you're going to sit down and play because, yeah, well, I, I guess maybe you could do that because then all your friends can sit there and help you try to assemble It's a good way thing. to trick them into doing it for you. Like, <laughs> That's hey, right. Guys, here. I got this new game. Oh, wait. Oh, we have to assemble them first. <laughs> what a shame. Aliens from Gale Force 9. That is out now. Guys, thank you for coming on the show. Who knows? Maybe your next favorite movie will be uh, have a board game come out. What is that? Uh, Devil Wears Prada? Is that it? When Harry Met Sally. <laughs> when Harry, I'm sure. Well, I wouldn't be surprised somewhere there's a Harry Listen, Met Sally the, game. The dice building mechanic in the When Harry Met Sally board game is pretty ingenious. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks. Tony, did you celebrate National Squirrel Appreciation Day on January 21st? Uh, are we doing this time warp thing where we were recording before it and then we did it and we didn't? Are we going to do this here? No. I d- yes, Marty, I did. <laughs> oh, yeah, did you know there's actual, uh, there's, a, there's a National Squirrel Appreciation Day in 2001... Wildlife Rehabilitation Specialist Christy Hargrove founded the National Squirrel Appreciation Day in Asheville, North Carolina. See, we talked about a game from Asheville. Now we're talking about National Squirrel Day. Uh, Okay, I'm good with this. Mm -hmm. Now, I appreciate squirrels and their cuteness and what they provide. And I will admit, I have called them a menace, a rodent. They are a tree rat, a tree rat. They are that. When they get into my house, mm-hmm. as long as they stay in their environment and they stay out of my environment, I'm a happy man. But I was going through a, a, a listener sent us or sent me a book about burgoo. Right. And I was going through it and I was looking at the original ingredients in burgoo, 50 birds, 50 squirrels. I was like, okay. All right. Well, I'm not going to provide that. So I found the up-to-dated menu and it was, you know, stewed meat. So anyway, I did not know there was a National Squirrel Appreciation Day. I appreciate them. Yes. And uh, just so you know, what, you know, you're talking about them being a nuisance. Well, they're actual natural gardeners. Uh, Because of them, they're carrying all these seeds around, especially nuts and everything. And then they're dropping them off. And that's uh, basically how a lot of trees are started uh, in forests and stuff like that. So we played Renature earlier. There's a reason why one of the dominoes has squirrels on it. We educate here on RDTN. Well, we at least tell ourselves that, so <laughs> I'm fine with that. And for everyone listening, uh, we've sent out notifications if you happen to be lucky enough to win one of our prizes from our anniversary. So please check your inboxes if you haven't. If you're like me and you do that weekly personal look at your inbox, work it gets every day, but my personal inbox gets it once a week. So uh, please go ahead and take a look at that. So uh, we hope everybody, we wish everybody good luck. Hopefully you were a winner, but be sure to check that inbox because Marty and I will not sit on these. We will give you approximately a week to get back to us. 
If you haven't, we're moving on to the next person. Plain mm-hmm. and simple. It's how we roll here at Rolling Dice. <laughs> oh, that was it, wasn't it? And taking names. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Please come join our Discord channel. You can find out links over on our website at Roll Dice Take Names. Follow us on Instagram at Dice and Names. We're going to try to show more of our pretty faces. And make sure to follow us on twitch.tv slash Roll Dice Take Names. We're trying to do a lot more streaming now. For the stinger, you're not going to sing Mercy, Mercy Me, are you? Oh, I've heard some of those comments. Do you want me to sing Mercy, Mercy Me? I don't think people want this to be a pattern, so I, I, it would probably be best if, if you didn't. That's fair. That's fair.